Hey, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I want to say a special thank you to everybody who listened to the last episode on Carol and Tuesday Part 2. This episode is going to be a kind of spiritual successor to that episode because of things you'll see when we get to the main episode part, or you've probably already seen in the title of this episode. But first, I wanted to touch on something that happened today. That was the Pokemon Direct, because I am I'm a 30-year-old man-child. I love Pokemon. I will not apologize. It is one of my few great... Actually, it's one of my many great childhood joys in life. Who am I kidding? I talk about cartoons on the internet at a pastime. Yes, I get money from it, but it's mostly at a pastime. <laughs> um, but I... I've always loved Pokemon since I got my hands on Pokemon Blue when I was a kid in grade school. And I'm very happy that Inteleon is now War Criminal. And he is... He has his sniper perch because that's that that's my guy. That, that's the one who I'm putting out to protect me. <laughs> um, so if you haven't heard... They added, basically, they, they're releasing an expansion pack to Pokemon, to Pokemon Sword and Shield. Um, spoiler alert for the Direct, I guess, if you haven't seen it. Um, you can go find it on YouTube very easily, but they're adding two new, like, two new maps that are basically new wild areas with story content in them, and they are wild. They, they're, like, wild from, like, a figurative view, not, like, wild areas. But they also are also, like, modeled after the wild areas. You have know, free range of motion and camera movement. Um, they're adding 200 more Pokemon that were not in the game, including um, a, a, at least two new legendary Pokemon, and it looked like variation on the legendary birds, which was really cool. Um, but they, they've just got a lot of cool stuff. And like it, it, so here's what makes me genuinely happy is that this is the first time games as a service had not been like, hey, here we come to fuck everything up. It's like games as a service. Oh, Pokemon can release an expansion pass. It doesn't need to just re-release the game at full price. It can just be like, hey, do you have thirty bucks? If so, we have cool shit for you. <laughs> um, because if you don't know anything about Pokemon in the past. Pokemon, generally what it's done is it's been like, um, you know, here's Pokemon Red version, and then like next, like, next year or in like two years later, it would release Pokemon Fire Red, which was Pokemon Red with, like, more story content and, like, different twists to the game, but you would A, have to replay the whole game, and B you'd have to pay full price for that. So, it's really kind of cool that instead of going the, like... Because they very easily could have done, like, Pokemon Sharpened Sword and Pokemon Hardened Shield or something. They just released expansion paths... Pa an expansion pack for them and are treating them like a games-as-a-service situation instead of just... Like, you can do these little half-step games constantly to make money. Which is really great. Um, but... 
because God knows Game Freak does not need any more of my or our money because you know they have they get all the money like whenever they whenever they're like hey here's a Pokemon game everybody like including me is like shut up and t take my money like I complained a lot but shut up and take my money um and so I'm really looking forward to that you can go look at the very cool like concept art mashup beta gameplay thing that they released as part of the Pokemon Direct, it it does a good job of hyping you up to meet an old dude named Mustard in a fucking tracksuit who's gonna teach you how to you do Kung Fu good. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But, that's not what today's show is about. Today's show is about a th thing that I've struggled to talk about, and this will probably not be the last time I talk about this property, quote-unquote, because it's not the property in... It's not the property proper, so to speak. But today, we're going to be talking about a little movie called Cowboy Bebop Knocking at Heaven's Door. Now, for anybody who listened to the episode I did on Bleach Memories of No One, I'm doing this for much the same reason, but not with the same end result. I do ultimately want to talk about Cowboy Bebop as a property, but like the whole show of Cowboy Bebop. It's not like Cowboy Bebop is 26 episodes. It's not like 700 episodes and change where I would need to like ecl like eclipse all of that to talk about the sh the show itself. It but Cowboy Bebop as a show holds a very different place in anime culture compared to um 
Cowboy Bebop compared to something like Bleach or Naruto, which the daunting point of covering those shows as a whole is their size. Yes, they are important to the culture, but they don't have this, like, prestige quality to them. They are they are the kind of, like, candy-coated gumdrops that we go to for, you know, a sugary good time. It, Cowboy Bebop is a different thing. It is playing in, a, in an entirely different space than something like Naruto, something like Dragon Ball Z, something like something like all the like big shonen properties you think of. So, for that reason, it's actually useful to talk about the Cowboy Bebop movie because it's kind of constructed in the same way you would construct a Shonen Jump movie. And Cowboy Bebop the movie, otherwise known as Cowboy Bebop knocking on heaven's door, is to Cowboy Bebop what, say, a... what a movie like Memories of Nobody is to Bleach. Basically, it's a... it's a extended episode that needs to be contained to itself because nothing in the Cowboy Bebop universe can be affected too much, because then it would have also it would alter a story that's already been told, basically. Um, in Bleach's case, Memories of Nobody couldn't interfere with the story as it was going on, but in Cowboy Bebop's case, it came out after Cowboy Bebop had aired already, like a while after it came. So, Cowboy Bebop was, like, the hot show of 1998-ish, around there. Um, but Cowboy Bebop the movie was, um, played in theaters in America, at least, in 2001. I think it started showing September 2001. It's also, the movie is done by Studio Bones, where, um, the... Anime was done by, um, I forget who did the anime off the back of my head, but, um, and I, I believe that Cowboy Bebop had a director that wasn't, um, Soshiro Watanabe, and the reason why I said that this is kind of going to be a spiritual successor to Carol and Tuesday Part 2 is because Cowboy Bebop is the show where Soshiro Watanabe like, made his name, and it's also the show where Yoko Kano, it's also one of the shows, not the show, one of the shows where Yoko Kano made her name, and what kind of, so the big lie of the creative process is that once something is produced, it cannot be produced by anybody else who produced it, and what I mean by that is Lots of people will look at something like Cowboy Bebop and say, no one except this for Sochi Watanabe could have made this blend of, like, Western film noir, space, space cowboy, space Western thing other than Sochi Watanabe. But that isn't true. It can't be true. And the reason why it can't be true is because... Unfortunately, the... Well, not unfortunately, but... Very fortunately, and and luckily, animation 
the TV quality anime can't be produced by one person. Even, like, lone creators, like, lone wolf creators, like, um, the director of Your Name, um, Makoto Shinkai, have a team, ultimately. Like, yes, they do little independent projects that are insanely beautiful, and, like, like, holy shit. But usually, the second part of the sentence, holy shit, is, holy shit, imagine what this person could do with a budget and, a like, a team. And that's because it takes a lot more than just one person's huspa to will an anime series into the world. So, for as much as people think of someone like Sochiwa Watanabe as being the driving force behind something like Cowboy Bebop and um, Carol and Tuesday... There is also a an, a character a character animation team, a back background artist, you know, music music and soundtrack people who are responsible for helping to form the visual and like spiritual, for lack of a better word, identity of those properties, as well as and this is important maintaining them. Because you can create something beautiful, but if it can't be maintained and carried through to its like to its absolute end, then as an animation property, it's kind of pointless. If that makes any sense, like if you can do if you can make some great drawings, I mean I can make I I can draw my heart out and make beautiful drawings all day long, but I can't reproduce those into really even, like, I can reproduce them into manga if I put my brain to it, but I'm long, but I'm long out of practice into reproducing them into into an animation, and even if I could, you know, I don't have, there aren't enough minutes left in my life for me to, like, animate something entirely myself. Like, I just, I just, I need to eat, bro. Um, kind of thing. But, so, as much as, yes, these, like, directors like Makoto Shinkai, directors like Sochiro Watanabe, um, are, or, and directors like Satoshi Kon are, um, these geniuses that are, and in Kone's case, were, correctly kind of, like, held up on a pedestal, they have teams of people working with them to make their ideas real and translate them into something that can be mass-produced. And oftentimes, the kind of, like, encapsulated, wholly episodic story movie versions of shows like Cowboy Bebop are where are where you see that in full effect. So if I actually I remember now that Sunrise was responsible for Cowboy Bebop. And so Sunrise is Sunrise's job in a movie like Cow like Cowboy Bebop knocking on heaven's door is to kind of provide the character sheets 
all this stuff so you so that Bones has the op, has all the materials it needs to make the actual movie that makes any sense and they interpret the designs in their own way they you know tweak things so they put their own spin on it but it's still at its heart Cowboy Bebop and for Cowboy Bebop that's important because those characters are so well known and are so iconic and are so internationally iconic. Um, and in doing that, they put their own spin on things, but they also stay true to the original form of the property. And Cowboy Bebop Knocking on Heaven's Door does this really well. And But it also adds something that... At its best, Cowboy Bebop had hints of, had just enough hints to let you, like, kind of relax into the show's environment. And that is the thing that Knocking on Heaven's Door does, I think, really well, is is it gives you, like, a real... It gives you the real kind of sense of the environment of Mars. Now... You probably don't know this about me, because why would you, unless you're the CIA? Hi, Carl. I haven't done that one in a while, but Carl, if you're listening, I know that you know that I'm watching. That I, that I know you're watching. But, <laughs> unless you're Carl. Hi, Carl. Um, <laughs> you don't know that one of my favorite things to use as a background for my computer is... Anime backgrounds without characters in them. So, like, I'm talking, like, anime cityscapes, anime landscapes, like, insides of apartments and houses. I kind of love that shit. And the real reason why is because as much as the characters we love from anime link us to those shows, what also links us to the show is everything else. The the look the look, the sound, the scenery, the like background characters, the way the background characters behave, all that shit. Um and the first thing Cowboy Bebop knocking on heaven's door does, which I'm gonna start calling knocking on heaven's door just because it means I say the whole thing less and it sounds less insane. Um <laughs> is that it opens up with this music video opening that's very... It's very much an anime opening. It's very much an anime movie opening in the sense that it combines the two, not that it, in the sense that it is like an anime movie opening. It wants to combine like an opening title sequence with like a what could be an opening theme for an OP for an actual show. And what you see is this almost, is this black and white, almost found footage sequence of, you know, people living their lives on what could, in what could be New York, but it ends up being Mars. And you're, you understand kind of in the back of your head that it is Mars. And this is a trick that actually Carolyn Tuesday does, too. I didn't talk about it much in the last episode, because, 
look, there was way more important shit to care on Tuesday. <laughs> like, they got real political, real fucking fast on that show. It's magical. If you wonder what I'm talking about, go listen to the last episode. Um, but, um, the last episode in the podcast feed. But, so they open up on all this found footage, you know, people tapping their fingers, a woman having a drink, an old woman having a, having a coffee at a cafe table on, like, the side of the sidewalk. And these all, it feels like the kind of, like, rough, grainy, black and white found footage that, like, you see someone, you see of somebody who made, like, a, like, found, who, like, went around and took, like, just atmospheric, you know, footage from New York City. Like, it feels like stuff, so here's a good way to put it. It feels like the in-between shots when they're not introducing people in, like, an SNL, in, like, the S- opening to SNL, if that makes any sense, where you just see, like, a dude do a skateboard, do a skateboard grind down a rail, and then you cut to, like, a bunch of women just, like, have, having fun at a bar, and it it gives you a real sense of place. And the whole movie has this sense of place that Cowboy Bebop... It's not that Cowboy Bebop isn't interested in it as a show. It's just not... It's just not as central. And you see things in Cowboy Bebop, the movie, that you don't see in the show because you have a different set of creators behind it. And also, the thing about... So the thing that's really hard about anime movies like Memories of Nobody or Cowboy Bebop, um, Knocking on Heaven's Door, is that you have to make this thing that is inconsequentially grand, if that makes any sense. And what I mean by that is you have to make this, um, you have to make a movie that is worth it for someone to go see on a mass in a with an audience in a movie theater but doesn't do but doesn't make any kind of major story beat moves that would change the actual final property like I said before and the way that cowboy bebop does that I think is that it Adds in all of these background elements, and it gives it gives you more of the story. It gives you more of the like backstory to what's happening in the movie proper than you would ever get in a Cowboy Bebop episode. In a Cowboy Bebop episode, by the way, spoilers for Knocking on Heaven's Door because I'm gonna need to talk about this shit, and I'm I'm about to. So spoiler. Um. For Knocking on Heaven's Door, if you were going to tell it as an episode, you would probably have... You'd probably cut out the entire thing about the, like, investigators finding out... The way it would start would 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 be... The bounties announced on, like, Buckaroo Banzai Bounty Friends or whatever the, like, crazy cowboy show is. And that's where the story would go forward. It wouldn't go forward from, you know, Faye fucking up the bounty to, actually, it, it might show Faye fucking up the bounty, but what it, what would actually happen 
is you would get all the like side stuff about the police would just disappear entirely because what Cowboy Bebop the series is interested in is the characters interested in, in how that like dysfunctional family functions. Um, but what Cowboy Bebop the movie is interested in is interested in blowing that up so it seems like a larger than life plot to like destroy Mars, which is now synonymous for the world, and it. So it needs you to have a full range of stakes and what's happening before it even, like, really gets into the nitty-gritty. And, but also, it needs to, it needs you to know that, like, hey, this is, this is, this is the characters you love. It needs you to know that you're going to get to see, you know, Spike on the big screen, Ed on the big screen, Faye, Jet Black, and it adds, but it adds two notable, it adds a bunch of notable side characters to the story that are movie original characters. Um, you get um, like an Electra-esque kind of corporate co- corpo cop woman who used to be trained in like the Mars Special Forces or something. You as like this kind of cop on a mission with a sordid past, and then you get, um, I forget his name, but the, um, Indian, the Indian, um, bio, bio, like, biomechanics scientist who helped create nanomachines, who, who created the nanomachines that are driving Vincent crazy, and then you get Vincent and you get um this black hacker kid who is like this like infamous hacker and, and you start out with the black hacker kid and um I'm going to do a little bit of a story kind of run through here but it's not really what I want to talk about here I more want to talk about like the feeling and framing of the movie but it's helpful to have a timeline to do that so you start out with Faye finding the black hacker kid about thinking like, and you find out later that Ed helped her hack a car company, find out that he had rented a semi truck and was driving it somewhere. And then the semi truck explodes and you cut, you cut to Faye being like, Oh shit. Well, you cut to Faye in her ship seeing Vincent, um, seeing Vincent come out of the truck and smoke billowing from the truck. And later you find out that that truck was filled with nanomachines and Vincent basically committed an act of bioterrorism to the entirety of Alba City and Mars. Um, the so this is the thing I really like. I really like that, um... So Shiro Watanabe's properties all take place kind of in the same universe. So you can so they can sit on a timeline and you can have you can have, you know, 
Cowboy Bebop, Carol and Tuesday, Space, and all the way to the other end, Space Dandy. And they're all in this continuum, so you can... So, they're all related to each other. And with that, with that help, with that helps him as a creator do, it helps him have an immediately established, like, story world that he can stick, that he can stick character in and do whatever he wants, and then move on to the next story and have the same thing. But what Cowboy Bebop, the movie, what Knocking on Heaven's Door seeks to do with that is it seeks to kind of more realize Mars and spend a lot of time on Mars and deal with the people and places there. I mean, you you get as minute as to see the weather control station um, and, like, the model plane hangar. Like, all this really weirdly odd shit. And I think that's... I think that's... Bone, that's Bones' touch because... You get a lot of the same thing in a show like Eureka 7. Like, in Eureka 7, all the cities have names, all the places are paid attention to in a really specific way, and Cowboy Bebop uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door has that same feel. Like, it, they are paying attention to the setting, they are paying it, the settings mean things, you, um... The plot revolved. So this is another. This is an odd thing. Um, this is a popular thing in American television that is not popular. That a version that a version of exists in Japanese television, but this particular holiday isn't used for as much. Knocking on Heaven's Door. It's specifically a Halloween movie. <laughs> I feel like Alex. What? What the hell does that mean? I mean, it takes place on, around, and, like, involving Halloween at all, at almost all points. Because Vincent's secret plot is to use the Halloween Day Parade, which is very much like the New York Halloween Parade, to basically set off more nanomachines and cause everybody, causing everybody in... Um, Ma- on Mars to die in in the city to basically die, and when I say that everything involves Halloween, I mean it is very clear that Halloween is coming. When you come in on the movie, it is very clear that it is almost it, and it is involved in the like main plot of the movie, and then it happens, and, like, it's just there. At constantly in the background at all times. And it comes to the foreground when it becomes plot relevant. But, they, they use all of these... The thing that they carry over from Cowboy Bebop, the show, is that they use all of the main cast members Exactly as they are normally, and at as determined as Spike is, he is in the movie, as like kind of flippant and blah as, as Faye is, she is in the movie, as kind of stubborn and like wanting to be safe but being like, oh, fuck it, 
as Jet is, he is in the movie. And they take all of them and their kind of crystallized, perfect versions of those personalities from the show, and they mix them with this cast of characters who are all interlinked by themselves, like, to each other in their own way, but not linked to these characters. And they just kind of let them be, and they let they let it they let kind of the movie happen as it feel like, and it feels natural. Like when you see um the Electra character, I forget her name, um fight Spike for the first time. A, it's it's an incredible fight. <laughs> it involves the broom and the phrase. Oh, I like the kind of woman who can kick my ass. Um, <laughs> but it's a great fight, but it is exactly the kind of fight you expect out of Spike Spiegel. There's no, the, the flashiness of this movie doesn't come from them trying to, like, jazz it up constantly. The flashiness of the movie comes from the scope and the quality, which is saying something considering... Cowboy Bebop is already, like, top-tier quality-wise. But, it... So, this happens with basically any animated property. Not even... Not just even, um... Anime movies. But with any kind of animated property before the onset of CGI nightmare garbage. Um... You'd have a show that was probably competently animated, but definitely cut corners in order to like make a deadline and a budget. But then that show would get a movie, and the movie would be like, okay, gloves off, you know, no hold bar, let's make this thing awesome. Um, examples of this include, um, and it, and that process went both ways. So examples of, like, from down to up are things like um, Tom and Jerry the movie. Examples from up to down are things like Aladdin the movie versus Aladdin the TV show. And the reasons for that are because if you have a... If you're going to be playing to a theater, you'll be making direct ticket sales, and you get a way bigger budget. If you're going to be playing to, like, 900,000 households every week, yes, you, you could make more money, but you won't, but it has to be produced for longer and in a, like, a shorter time span, so budgets and times change a lot there. And in Cowboy Bebop's case, they took the opportunity to give this, like, a theatrical animation look. You know, I, I'm not kidding about this, by the way. You could... They could have just put a episode of the show, like, added more to it, and put it up. But by giving this kind of larger-than-life plot to this movie, and by giving it this awesome theatrical animation upgrade... It feels like you're watching a movie. It feels like you're like you couldn't have watched this on your couch. Like you can watch it on your couch at home, 
but it won't it won't be the same unless you have the right setup. Which speaking of, I got a Sonos surround system, and that makes me so happy when it works. Um, but you know they they through the use of scope and the clear use of a bigger, better budget, they managed to make a movie that feels like a movie and not just like an extended like an extended OVA, which it technically is. Technically lots of anime movies are that. But this this feels like it's it's worth the time you'd be spending in a the theater if you went to see it in a theater. Uh, I still haven't actually. I've it's never been playing when I could get to it, if that makes any sense. Because it has come back to theaters, I think, a couple times. Um, but that's kind of reason enough to make this a movie, because you get to see the character in like a big theatrical setting and with a with a plot structure and with like a amount of animation that doesn't have to be squeezed into 22 minutes. And, um, as a result, the whole thing feels bigger. It feels, it, it still flows kind of like a episode of the show would flow, which is fine, but it, like, the moves the characters get to make are a lot more fun. Like, you get to have the scene late in the movie of, you know, Faye holding, like, <laughs> dating a freaking hostage situation at the we- at the weather, at the weather control station to be like, make it rain, motherfuckers. Um, you get to have, you know, Spike have his, that great fight with, um, the female, the female corpo cop, you get to have the, um, the, like, beans conversation, and, like, the whole Moroccan street setting, which is just, like, masterful use of, like, tone and and, like, person, like, claustrophobe, cloud, crowd claustrophobia, and, like, introduction of a, like, Middle Eastern aesthetics that feel genuine and not fucked up and racist. Um, it's just all... It all feels like it's respecting your time and that it's... And that it's the... it's It's that it's some of the creators of Cowboy Bebop as well as people who clearly admire the property saying... We got a budget to do this. We're gonna do it right. You can trust us with this. Look at what we've made in like in service to this property. And I, I say that knowing full well that while Cowboy Bebop was a huge hit in America, it was formative for many fans like me and uh, and others my age, because <laughs> I'm. Uh, I'm an I'm an old now. It makes me sad. It makes me real sad. But I'm an old. Um, it wasn't as popular for many years in, especially when it first started airing, 
in Japan. So to see that, you know, animators clearly went back to it and clearly, like, holds it in such high esteem as to make something so big and beautiful for it and take, and take an opportunity that very easily could have been a cash grab and make, like, this additive... This, this thing that is additive in nature and not stagnant in nature is real... is really cool to me. Um, another thing like that is, um... Eureka 7 Pocketful of Rainbows, which is a weird-ass movie. It's a, it's a weird, like, quasi-retelling of the Eureka 7 story. It's, like, packed into a two-hour movie. But it's also this, like, kind of oddly beautiful Technicolor Nightmare thing. Um, Cowboy Bebop does it, does, like, the kind of doing justice to the primary property and giving you an adventure you can have on a big screen and that you can buy a separate DVD of. <laughs> Which, fun fact, my DVD copy... Was... Okay, so I'm... I want to be perfectly clear here. I don't know if it was my copy of the DVD or it was my PlayStation 2 that I watched DVDs on because I've since gotten a digital version of it. But I always had to go, before I watched the movie proper, I always had to go into the language tracks and the subtitle tracks and turn off the subtitle track and change the language track to English or else it would play in French because something in my setup at that time was from was French Canadian so it defaulted to French and it was just like I could start watching it and it would be like and I'd be like oh shit it's French I forgot and I'd have to change it but, um, I think it was my PS2 that was from French. So, so, side note, I recently got a Costco card because I'm moving and Costco has things that are good if you're moving. Um, but, um, for a very, very long time in Costco, one of the ways they got, and this still might be true, one of the ways they got <laughs> super cheap things was they got them imported from Canada at a lower cost. So, like, every once in a while, if you got, like, a PlayStation console, it would be, everything would be defaulted to French because of French-Canadian, and you were, like, 15 and didn't know how to fix it. <laughs> um, but, it, so, just, it's re it, Knocking on Heaven's Door is a really fun movie, it has Obviously, amazing music, as you heard from the opening um, that you heard at the beginning of this show, and the end theme, which you will hear at the end of this show. It is totally worth your time. I'm pretty sure you can rent it from um, from iTunes. You can rent it. You can probably... No, you can rent it from iTunes. I know that. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. I don't believe it is. It might be on Hulu, I'm not sure. Um, that feels right in my bones, but I can't promise that. Um, but it is... It is all the good parts of Cowboy Bebop, plus this, like, appreciation for 
atmosphere and tone and this, like, in a, a real masterful way that give Cowboy Bebop this, like, world that it's sitting in, in a way that it, quite honestly, probably didn't have time for in the, um, in the, in the show proper, and it's probably one of the reasons why they opened up on the first episode, Asteroid Blues, that has so much, that's soaked in so much atmosphere and tone. And it's also probably part of the reason why they constantly have the three old, the I think four old men. Actually, I think it's three. The three old men who have an important job in this in this movie, actually, which is great. And because of the time constraints, they probably didn't want to spend too much time on you know, atmosphere and, like, background and tone and stuff, because they had they had a job they were clearly itching to do. They had a story they were itching to tell, and I will... Don't worry, I will be revisiting Cowboy Bebop as a show at some point, I promise. Um, but until then, you have been listening to Lunchbox Radio. My name is Alex. I hope you like the show. I'm working on a bunch of things with a bunch of guests you've heard in the past. Um, so look forward to that. But I ha- But if you've liked this show, please give it a five-star rating on iTunes. You can subscribe to it on any of your podcast listening platforms of choice. And until next time, I've been Alex, and I'll talk to you later. Yeah.
The more that I 